Hi, and thanks for listening to I Wish I Knew That About Songwriting. I'm Keir Kemp, and this is The Spicy Segment. Hello and welcome to a very different episode. I think I say that every single time, but you guys need to understand how special this human being is to me. But I think how relevant he is to you guys as songwriters, as creatives, as people interested enough to take the time out of your day to search the show and to find out something about songwriting. So I met Kia, oh, I would say you were a posters on my wall without aging you because he looks fucking brilliant. 10 years ago, <laughs> this guy was all over my world as a Kerrang reader. I used to go to the post office and grab a Kerrang or grab a rock sound. This guy was everywhere. And fast forward to kind of what's relevant today. Kier is kind enough to not only come on the show, which is a huge win, but also he's going to be sponsoring a monthly segment. And I get to talk to this guy very often, and I selfishly think that's fucking brilliant. So he had us come and support him with his band, Fearless Vampire Killers. So check out Kier. We'll put all the socials in the notes. So without any further ado, thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you so much for having faith in us. You're going to be coming along for the ride. So welcome, sir. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thanks for asking me to be on. Yeah, I mean, I just, I felt like we're kindred spirits. So, you know, I'm I'm here. I'm along for the ride. I'm enjoying it so far. You have an energy about you, my friend. You came to the show, and I actually, this is a thing, like, like full disclosure. Go you came, it. and Beverage was like, oh, that Jamie guy, he's like, he's like a lot of energy, isn't he? And I, and I immediately thought, yeah, that's exactly how I am. And he didn't mean it in a bad way, because Lawrence is quite like, you know, he's a reserved he's a king. He's kind a special of guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but as soon as he said that, I was like, yeah, because that that's how a lot of people have perceived me over time in the sense that I'm very, maybe not right now, sitting here chilling with a whiskey. But um Jesus. <laughs> Rockstar, this is the... what? This is this is four oh ten in the UK. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry Three, for the um, absolute time. If there's any if there's any rattling on the mic, that's just me enjoying <laughs> just me ice cubes. It's just me. At, mm. I mean, that's a but, great um, way to start, to be honest, because I think you're coming in not only as someone who's kind enough to put his name and his life, I would say, as your company to this show. But as you said, we clocked each other for relevance. People that came to see the Fearless Vampire Killer show, which was PTSD inducing best day of my life. And I happened to meet this guy. <laughs> and I think you were flying around signing things. I was flying around trying to not lose my fucking head. But we kind of clocked each other and we were like, who the fuck is that person? And I chased you down and I'm going to hit you with the question of the show because I want to bring this up early. But by the way, you've got all the answers because your book is incredible. That's a little <laughs> cheeky drop there. It is really incredible. Thanks. What do you wish you knew about being a creative or a songwriter when you were young? Mm. Oh, Wow. That is such that's it's a heavy a one, right? Question. It's a heavy lifter. I think, well, I mean, you mentioned the book. It's not out yet at the time that we're recording. The book that I've written is all about how to channel healthy obsession and do more of what you love. That's kind of the, the tagline. Like you, I'm, a, I, I'm an obsessive person. I, I tend <laughs> to um, get fixated on things and they consume me in one way or another. And without the right framework, that can be very destructive. It can and has been destructive for me, my health, my, my relationships, all sorts of things in the past, because I've so, I've so doggedly pursued whatever I'm obsessed with at the time, I've neglected other things. I've neglected myself, I've neglected the people around me, sometimes with kind of a version of myself that I'm not hugely proud of. I guess if I was going to say one thing that I wish I'd known back then as a creative, it's, it's really how to harness that as a force for good rather mm. than just, I use this me metaphor in the book that is um, a firework and I keep coming back to it. And, and it really is, it does feel like that. Like when, when you're full of creative energy and passion and, and obsession and you just want to, you just want to be flying, you know, you want to fl fly, you know, without using uh, no, too exactly many cheesy, yeah, yeah. cheesy things. You yeah. know, you want to be beautiful. You want to create beautiful things. Unless that's staked firmly in the ground and unless that's given some kind of like oh, nice. structure, it can go horribly wrong. 
like we've all seen when those Catherine wheels, right, that kind of fall off the wall and go zipping around the garden. It's just God. an absolute nightmare. If That's like, such a great Or a metaphor. firework that falls over. Because it is that, even to watch someone spinning out, we've seen this in terms of, do we say Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, Chester Bennington. You some, we watch someone spinning out of control because it's so beautiful. We don't realise mm. that they are untethered. I have also seen a firework hit a guy in the shirt in a backyard. <laughs> That's very different. But like I said, you've just dropped a metaphor. I, I, I was just going to see if there's anything that I could pull out of and you pulled out 15 things in that first <laughs> couple of minutes because I know that it will land with, with particular friends of mine, like Grace Jackson, who I get to, she's been on the show. She's a, she's a radiant human being. That would have landed with mm. her. I must do this. I must create. And even today, like, I was spinning out, I had a session this morning and then I recorded some vocals for the band and then I had to go and yeah. play football in the rain because I just felt like I was going to explode if I didn't do something completely different. So yeah, that's a good idea actually. Like getting out and doing exercises is a good one. I mean, like, if, <laughs> you, you, if you want health, one you? thing, <laughs> yeah, if you want one thing that you can do, exercise is a good one. People say it, it's not fun. It's usually like, I don't find exercise fun, but it is it is worthwhile and you always feel better for it, which is one of those really annoying things like your parents always used to tell you, Oh, you know, go for a run, go do this, go outside. It'll make you feel better. And you're like, no, no, you don't want to believe it, but they're just but right. Dare I they? say, mate, knowing what I know about you, you were very candid about the fact, like, like I said, when I was seeing you on, on my wall every day, you were kitted out what you would call emo before it was known to be cool and you said you had a lot of people calling you fag a lot of calling people assuming things about you am i going to guess that you weren't encouraged to play sport therefore it wasn't enjoyable when you were younger no like, like i think when i was younger so this is a big one we're going down the we're going down the, it's only 21 the yeah. right um no i'm 33 i don't care saying how it looks good that's, all, that's what? all good have you done um, all this and you're only 33 incredible anyway uh well you know vampire. I, I was i was the youngest in my year you know school years count for a lot back then, <laughs> born but, um, in 1860 vampire anyway yeah yeah god that'd be good <laughs> i'd give anything for that but um i think when i was younger i was very lucky in a lot of ways because I had an incredibly large, incre incredibly close group of friends that includes a lot of my bandmates now. You know, I've known Lawrence since I was 10, maybe nine, no, nine. Like we wow. met in middle school. And Shane, since I was three, we met at our first ever three. school. So we've known each other for 30 years. And yeah, I'm literally sitting here on my desk and there's this, there's a 3D printed bust of my own head that Shane gave me at my stag do and he he's a 3d animator and he modeled my head guitarist. <laughs> anyway, yeah he's, he's a very sharp yeah, guy guitarist, he's, cool. guitarist. he's amazing and anyway so like when when i was younger i had the this amazing group of friends and it didn't really like you know like a lot of schools you even though this isn't the u.s you have the whole jock kind of like yeah Grebo thing going on. Grebo, uh, that th that's what they used to call you. Yeah, <laughs> the Grebo. That was one of the things. Um, if you were slightly alternative back then, that's what they called you. If you had an imagination, and, um, yeah, or a boff or something like that. Because <laughs> if you had a brain, you know, what I, mean? I mean, all these guys are like, you know, just plumbers now. To be they fair, not that there's anything wrong so with say, being yeah, a pl yeah. plumber. No, very well said. But yeah. you know, plumbing is great, and if it's if you're happy doing that, that's very very worthwhile thing to do. But you're right, they peaked. All of these people at school at, at that time, they didn't realise it, but that was as good as it's going to get for them. And for me, I wasn't one of these people that I was neither like cool nor super uncool. I, we just had our own little world going on. And that meant that I didn't need to pander to things. I didn't need, I didn't feel the need to play sport unless I wanted to. I did basketball for a, a while. I played on the school football team for a bit. I did a lot of skateboarding. I didn't feel I had that. to. I'm not brave enough to do that. Yeah, well, I, I stopped. It was kind of skateboarding on music at one point, and I went music because it was slightly less like dangerous. <laughs> I, <think. laughs> I saw. Thought. I saw a kid. Thought. I thought, yeah, but that didn't turn out to be the case. But I saw a kid. He was just doing a simple trick, and he fell wrong, and he snapped his arm in two places. And I think yeah. after that, I was. I had to call the ambulance for him. And I think after that, I was like, yeah, maybe <laughs> this isn't for me. I'll just play a guitar anyway I, I went on a tangent but yeah so at school I was lucky I had some amazing friends and we did whatever we wanted which was sometimes you know having house parties and drinking beer when we were like 15 like it's great <laughs> yeah and, and how did it because for people that don't know you as well as I do literally I think it was strange I think I, I really felt I mumbled my words which I haven't done 
in 10 years when I was speaking to you. Can you tell people a bit about your band? What, Fearless Vampire Killers? Yeah, so, I mean, I've been a musician since I was, I don't know, 10. Back in the day, I first played Wonderwall in the school assembly. Oh, and legend. Someone asked me to sign something, and that was it. I was hooked. <laughs> I was like, right, that's it. We left home. Well, I grew up in East Anglia in Suffolk, and uh, that's the kind of place that no one really wants yeah, you to. Yeah, I feel to sorry for you do anything <laughs> like <laughs> it's very kind of like local place for local people and we told our friends and people at school that we wanted to move to london and be rock stars and naturally everyone went are you fucking mad <laughs> like are you mad? am i allowed to swear by the way yes i do um, it we've I'm got mad. the explicit tag okay, as well cool. checked. <laughs> good um because i do and yeah so everyone told us it was stupid and we you know it kind of was now <laughs> but um, we moved to london when we were 18 and uh, decided to pursue music and we just did it. We didn't have a clue. So we did it in the, in the kind of uh, the most haphazard way possible, <laughs> which was just, you know, we had to get jobs because we're working class kids. So I don't have a trust fund or a, or rich parents to rely on. Unfortunately, I wish I did. I mean, that'd be great. You wouldn't uh, be who you sometimes. are, mate. I kind of think about this sometimes, despite having been to private school and everyone thought that things were a certain way for me. Like, I wouldn't change a thing. It was horrific. And uh, internally, yeah, well, I, but externally, it's, it was a good life. This is a, this is the thing. I think you're right. Like I have, everyone has their problems. And I did this show. I shot this TV show recently and it really highlighted yes, that for me. Exciting. Because there was, um, there was quite a few people from very mixed backgrounds on there. Some very wealthy, some less wealthy. And one thing I noticed was, I'm not saying this is a, this is the way it always is, but mm everyone from the more wealthy background seem to have some parental family issues or trauma that they've lived through. I'm not saying everyone does that, but, but they, they had their own issues, basically. I grew up very poor, but had an abundance of love and support from my parents and was extremely lucky in that sense. And I know that if I had a choice, you know, love and support or money, which I'd go for, and it is the love and support, you know, money's handy. But um, I had a nice childhood and I think that's always going to be there. You have an no incredibly good relationship with money from my experience with you and having seen the way <laughs> you've conducted yourself and what you've chose to reinvest in, not necessarily financially, but... I think I just don't have very much regard for money. I think that's to my benefit and also like yes. a curse at the same time, because whilst it's good to not live for money. I could probably do with a little bit more of it. <laughs> and, I'll, of course, and I'll always of take, you know, I'm, I'm fine, but I'll always take the, you know, if it's between freedom and money, I'll always choose freedom mm. 100% of the time because I value my autonomy and my ability to do things that I want during the day um, with my own time. Because you are currently drinking whiskey and ice at, a certain time of day, which I respect, by the way. And you're talking about having <laughs> chosen freedom over money. I wanted to just ask you those jobs that you had. I'm interested to see whether your skills from being a musician transferred nicely into working for the people or not. Yeah, much to my great surprise. Absolutely. So when I was, all the time I was in a band full time, basically from, I think we did about four years where we would just doing the band cool. and that was kind of our meager source of income the whole time i was pursuing the band i felt it was sort of wasted as far as uh real world stuff goes in my head it was very binary it was either i became a famous musician or i went out into the real world and had to get a job and those two things weren't really related they were just like i'm i'm either a great musician or i'm a normie like i mean i hate like for lack of a better word yeah no it's good like, i think uh, you use those words. people are like smart enough to know um i go out and uh, just do it and uh for the longest time i thought that and then when i had to for anyone who doesn't know i left fearless vampire killers for a period because i was unhappy and i had to go back and get a job and exist in the exist in the real world mm. i found quite to the contrary everything i'd learned in a band had been extremely useful it was like the best apprenticeship that i could have 
ever had. It was it was a weird one, like everything from, and again, I write about this in the book, but everything from, um, you know, like financial stuff. Like I literally founded a limited company and a record label myself. So whilst, you know, a lot of people, you know, they'll do maths at school and stuff like that, but <laughs> I had that real experience of like creating a company and, you know, having to register for VAT and oh, not invoicing. Those and tours must have been all, all right. that stuff. Yeah, we, we made it, let's say that the threshold for VAT is 80 grand a year, I exactly, think. Exactly, yeah. Um, and we turned over more than 80 grand a year, a few times more than that, but um, it was just the profit left at the end. Touring's expensive, as you know. Ah. We probably lost 20 grand touring the US. So that was just one tour, 20 grand. It's that crazy. Isn't it? I remember um, just as a... That's the loss. That's not even how much we spent. Or even I remember we lost. Chainsmokers <laughs> set out on a 10 or 11 date tour, and I think they were one and a half to two million in debt on the first day. Obviously, they made that back, but the bigger you are, the bigger you risk. Yeah. So I think, but you learn these skills. And what's funny, I think, is that you go from being in a band where there is no money in the industry, but you're executing exactly the same skills in terms of media, marketing, communication, and discipline. So suddenly, if I put you, as you've shown with your business, Condomaniac, I put you in the real world, even though it's food. So you've obviously chosen a, another easy industry there. <laughs> it translates. Yeah. I mean, it's just weird. Like, like, like I, I would... Like people like tried to force me to go to university because I did quite well at school. You know, I wasn't a genius, but I was middlingly intelligent. I got reasonably good A levels, and I stuck it. I stuck it out to the end of A levels because I was like, right, if I get these done, I can go to university whenever I want. Yeah, I had no interest in going to university, but people like just could, they just couldn't comprehend it. They were just like, <laughs> not. What going did to people university? say to you? Because I'd imagine there's mad? people right now listening to this at the kind of fork in their life uni or go self-employed and listen to these idiots to talk about songwriting i would always choose life experience over university i mean university is fun i mean i, I i've never been i never did you're not missing anything back. mate i mean i had i had what was equivalent to like eight years of university really because i lived with my band for eight years <laughs> in the flat yeah that was more than enough right so it was carnage and it was a messy flat but it was also amazing I wouldn't want to do it now at the age of 33, but at the time it was brilliant. Yeah, I, I mean, I would always choose that. So university is good for some people. It depends what kind of person you are, I think, and what you want to do. Like if you want to be a scientist or, you know, if, even within music, if you want to go into music like theory, university is good because it teaches you those academic disciplines that are very important. But if you want to be more entrepreneurial, I think university is the least entrepreneurial thing ever because it, it being entrepreneurial is about kind of blazing your own trail and um problem solving essentially and at university you are all those pro you're, you're kind of in this weird purgatory suspended reality state between living at home with your parents and living out in the real world on your own mm. if you go like straight from school you know you get some responsibilities like you have to kind of get flat and maybe you have to get a job but you've still got a safety net and you still have a very rigorous kind of like, there's still a lot of structure. There's still terms. Your life is very regimented as it has been up until that point. School is very structured, very regimented. Even the schooling system is only right for some people. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, I would say university is not for you unless you go to some crazy Ivy league, like business school or something. And then it'll probably help because you'll meet a few oil barons along the way uh, or <laughs> so, just the whole like what was it i think it was psychology or computer science more or less everyone that graduated ended up running or working for google meta or yeah pioneering so i think there's a certain schools like you said beautifully go but if you yeah, I'd imagine absolutely. people listening to the show i think we're doing our best to follow in the footsteps of i think your example of pharrell williams and bruce dickinson which is one i didn't know about mm -hmm. people that don't give a fuck so to speak about boundaries and what people tell them they are able to do. So would you mind just talking a bit about makers and breakers, which is a beautiful chapter of your book? Ah, yeah. So it may end up being the name. I haven't named the book yet because I'm I saw the edit today. I think I saw the edit change recently, yeah. but yeah, it looks great. So I, I keep, I keep going backwards and forwards, but the main within the book, the main theme that I've gone with is this idea of makers and breakers, makers being people like, us, people like me, you, probably most of the people listening to this podcast, yeah. people that 
feel the strong urge to create in one form or another, whether that's writing songs, books, apps, being an engineer and wanting to create bridges. It's a very broad thing. It's basically anyone who wants to bring things into the world that didn't exist before. That's what I consider to be a maker. And these people tend to be people who have dreams, quite audacious dreams, and people who are very passionate and obsessive. So obviously the book's all about obsession, but these makers and breakers are kind of, I guess, the main character in the story. And then breakers are the opposite of that. So they're kind of my The example you gave in the book, if you don't mind, of you guys playing the show, could you just share that one? Uh, well, the example in the book for breakers, I give lots of examples. Point I mean, where the guy came in. After oh, the, played. That was really oh cool. the first anecdote. So yeah, it opens with, with an anecdote that was from the early days of FVK, which is when we had just, we did this thing called Project Suburbia, where we uh, decided that playing in London wasn't really working for us. So we went around the M25 and to all of these kind of uh, commuter towns, essentially, and played youth centers to young kids and well, you know, like teenagers, which was turned out to be really good for us because it was playing to people at a time that their life was, you know, their love for music and their love for all things creative was sort of uh, crystallizing within them. And they were really, they hadn't yet been, had the shit being out of them by the world. <laughs> hadn't been broken. Yeah. Yeah. They hadn't been broken. So they were great audiences. And we played this place called The Mill in Rayleigh, which was like a, just a room that they used to do these sort of monthly band nights in. And we, and we did this gig and there was always like a few hundred kids there that would go. Crazy. So it was great for us. We'd done a show and it had gone down really well. And we were buzzing. Like this was one of the first like decent shows we'd done <laughs> after probably spending years playing in London to like no one. <laughs> and we came out and there was a guy who kind of like, I think, I can't remember who he was. I think he might've been, he wasn't a sound technician. He was just someone there associated with the venue like an old sort of washed up David Brent, like life on the road style, kind of like, you know, the type, like old. Sadly, we do know them. Sort of Most people will know they're in their town. Yeah. You know, the sort, and anyway, he came and like sort of accosted us just after like, like, like right in the middle of that sort of re- revelry and just said, you know, oh, that was great. You know, but it's a shame. And I can't remember, I'm probably misquoting my own book now, but <laughs> a terrible memory, but, and we were like, oh, kind of took the bait. Why is it? what do you mean a shame he was like well you know that the kids seem to love you but you're never going to go anywhere and we were like why and he was like well you know people want a more polished sound now like you guys are crazy you're covered in makeup and like you're you're far too niche and you need to be played on the radio you need to tighten it up be a bit more pop and all this kind of you know how people just tend to what they think yeah their what opinions. they think to be the truth their opinion and they instill it on you and and he just seemed to take this weird sadistic pleasure in sort of taking us off that high, bursting our bubble. And we, I, at the time I was probably 20, I was too young really to know, have the confidence that I have now. Now I would tell him every, you know, exactly why he was wrong. Yeah. yeah. Chuck, yeah. chuck a few expletives in there. But because, <laughs> you know, you don't have to be like, I don't know, Ed Sheeran or someone very kind of like commercially accessible Mm. to have an amazing career and really touch people. Um, In fact, I think niching and being interesting is probably a good thing to begin with. Actually, Ed Sheeran did that himself. I was going to say, Ed is an incredible example. Before it came. I mean, I I think I love his songs in here, right? I'm a big pop guy. Love music. I love what he does. But he was the first kind of, you know mainstream example that popped into my mind but, but he's a great but, um, one he's a great yeah. one and even there's a uh, roland johnson who is in the band counterfeit is now doing other things like you that was in bands and then mm. just sort of took over the world in a couple of weeks because he realized what he was capable of but he said there are bands you've never heard of touring places you've never been to making a living a very good living yeah and playing to thousands Which is the of thing people. oh they, they, well they say it's the thousand fans fans thing isn't it that's it's what they say on. if you have a thousand fans like true fans of your art then you can kind of sustain yourself from that i think that probably is true if you're one person i think if you're a band you're probably going to struggle <laughs> well just a let, thousand, let's but. be honest with the numbers there's is there how many in your band for people and say you're making a hundred grand a year how many people are in your band you've got to share that with plus all the costs yeah that's the thing right it's very expensive so in, ends in up at around five cool, and then there's crew yeah there's, there's nothing so crew as well, you yeah. know even if 
even if you have. I mean, that, that was always a thing being in a band. I, I've always, we, we've paid so much money to other people. <laughs> just <laughs> being, being, being in the band, we're at like the bottom of this kind of like yeah, sort yeah. of triangle, just kind of going, please, sir, can I have some more? Like Oliver Twist at the bottom, just sort of hoping that some money sort of like falls out the bottom of this funnel that we've created for everyone else. Exactly. And that was that's kind of what it is a lot of the time because people deem you to be lucky just to be an artist, which in some ways is true, but in a lot of ways is absolute bollocks because it's like, you know. It's upside down. Wouldn't. In yeah. my mind, the idea of the show, my goal within music is to have songwriting or creative industries become trickle-down economies and trickle-down knowledge. That's why this show, and we're approaching not a thousand dedicated fans, but there's a percentage that I see who every time they're downloading it, they're reaching out and it will always be free, this show, because mm. who the fuck am I to charge for things that I get to chat to you? This is a privilege. I get to learn from someone directly who's helping the show. It should be trickled down. You know, we'll figure out a way to make our money. This yeah, it's a very people. good analogy. It's very Tory in its structure. The uh, the general creative industries are very structured like that in the sense that a lot of industries are. I mean, I guess that's capitalism in a lot of ways before we get too, mm. too economic about it. But it's, um, yeah, you're right. It is kind of backwards, I think. But it depends where you go and, and what you do. Like different countries and cultures and places have different revere musicians and creatives in different ways. Like oh, Germany's definitely. a great example. I was just about you go to, to say- Germany, like... They will. They, they won't pay you loads more, but they will look after you, and you will be. You you always get this sense of being like um, respected, like being a musician and being a creative is a respected. But I remember meeting some thing. of your fans that had come from Germany. I actually found some had come to see us. I was so out of it, I didn't realize That's that. Amazing, but what it's crazy, right? And now I think, oh, if I can't get on the tube, well, someone else came from a different country to see my show. I think I'll be able to get on the tube. But these guys that were German stood out. They came up to me and they were like, thank you so much for playing. I'm like, what are you talking about? You've come here. And I cracked <laughs> up a bit of German. Yeah. I've learned from guys I work with and they just go, we love your music because, and we want to do this because, and we really appreciate it. And you just go like, what the fuck? And it's been a theme as well as some of the German people I work with. There's a, there's a different attitude in terms of appreciation for creatives, which I'd imagine you didn't have growing up in. Well, no, not at all. Like you're seen as a, again, we keep talking about the book, but well, that's please, what the whole frame of it is. Back, back to breakers. If we're gonna, if we're gonna talk about what I deem breakers to be, to finish off that tangent, was <laughs> makers are people like us, and breakers are the people that have sort of given up and uh, try and bring you down to make themselves feel better. Quite often, so yeah. like that guy at the show, they're the people that, and you know, it's not their fault because generally society is structured in a way that. It makes it fit a lot safer and easier to be one of these people, right? So it's done to them, right? Path. I'd imagine someone did that to that guy when he yeah. was young. It's always the way. Yeah, they're victim victims. Absolutely, these are the people that have, and it's this vicious cycle of people like putting other people down and then becoming like disheartened themselves and then doing that same thing to other people, and it's just kind of tragic. And I guess if there's one thing that I would like to do on this earth, it's sort of break that cycle and be like, hey give a few people the confidence to be like, you can do whatever you want, give it a go. I'm not saying it's going to be easy like, and it's going to be harder for some people than it is for others. I'm not going to even insult people's intelligence enough to suggest <laughs> that there's a level playing field. There isn't. No. But if you really care, you, then you can move that dial and you don't have to be stuck in that awful feedback loop of like having your confidence destroyed, having all of your dreams beaten out of you. And then doing that to another person. Is your name um, Tony Robbins? Because that, <laughs> if you guys want to just flick back 25 to 30 seconds and listen to that a few times, because I think if I'd heard that from you, I mean, it hit me at 27 and all the things I've done my best to try and learn about in this life, that hit me quite hard. So if you are at that point in your life, just flick back 30 seconds and listen again. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it'll help, but it's just... There's only one pursuit worth doing, you know, following in this world. And that is the kind of, it sounds really cheesy, but the sort of the desires of your like creative heart in that sense. It's yeah. like, if there's one, I mean, this is a fact, but the most common regret that people have on their deathbed is 
things that they didn't do, not things that they did do. Yeah. And yeah, that's it really. Pe- people regret not pursuing things and not doing things and and the, the chances they missed more than they regret the things that they did. You know, I've done some stupid stuff, like really stupid <laughs> stuff. But And some of it, like most of it didn't work out, but some of it did. And none of that stuff, I'm going to go, oh, I don't know, the time that I lost my pants when I was swimming in, in school or oh, time that I... <laughs> that's a heavy one for the age, you know, I'd imagine. Yeah, I know, that that's it. That's the, yeah. yeah, it is. It's just, you know, all the time that I went to France and fell down a cellar and split my head open. You know, all these little things like, like, like it's a, uh, I'm glad I went to France. I, d- I don't ever look back on that trip and go, oh God, that was rubbish, wasn't it? I fell down a cellar and split my head open. I look back and go, oh, I was sitting at 15. I was sitting up until like midnight drinking rosé with my friends, like parents. And they That's were like, and bad, having an amazing time, like talking about all amazing things like life and all of its eccentricities yeah i don't know that's a stupid example but no, it's, it's not uh, it's, but- it's beautiful because firstly i think what you've done is highlighted what was my experience is that when i found people that were willing to talk about what i thought to be my normal which is the extremes the details of life that was interesting as a lot of people would have gone through and secondly if you ever visit france i'll make sure you're wearing a helmet if i ever give you any wine <laughs> yeah yeah that was a that was uh, that was daft. I, I, they they used to call me Plod as a as a kid because I did have a habit. <laughs> Sorry, mate. That's just I changed your name on my phone now. <laughs> falling over. Yeah, I don't know why I'm saying that. Like on something that other people are going to listen Ammo. to. Ammo. Yeah, I, I, I did used to be a bit. I say used to. I still am a bit clumsy to be honest. No, you move well on the stage. I'll give you that. Yeah, well, control you know, environment, all I, that. If I've got enough room, and I kind of know, you do it enough times, you sort of know what to look out for. But we've had we've we've had some hiccups there as well. We're not perfect. Oh, no doubt. But anyway, I hope that answers your question. Makers and breakers—they're the thing. And I think, yeah, we just need to avoid that cycle and try and inspire people to give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is you end up exactly where you started mm-hmm. again. Do you mean dead? Really? Or well, yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, I have gallows humor because the way <laughs> no, I think, no, I love the it. way I think of it is that my job is to make suicidal people laugh. That's kind of my job because if you can reach someone as in that darker place, which, which you do with your music and quickly as well, because I didn't get to ask you this properly last time, but when I turned up at your show and I went on the stage, I can f- remember the feeling of the sound and people were pushing up against the barriers. And speaking of dumb things I've done, I managed to kick beer over someone in their wheelchair and their carer. <laughs> But the level of your fans, right? And I tried to keep my laser focus. But she was fucking stoked to have been had her beer kicked all over her. Well, that's, that's like a real experience, isn't it? Right? You're just you know, like front row. Because like I was leaning down. Because like, I'm, I'm tall and she was in the chair below stage. And I leant down and I tried to high five her and I just kicked beer all over her and her carer. But she didn't give a fuck. And I wanted to say because your fans particularly one or two i met hundreds it was it was absolutely amazing and they were coming onto the tube i was like what the fuck is this and thank you for that and your manager came in and said we want to give you boys a chance and i thought that has still hasn't sunk in but how do you cultivate people that are that like people rocking incredibly cool like fangs and beautiful hair and colors and they were just dancing and singing and throwing themselves up against the front like how do you create fans like that Hmm, that's a big question that's book two that is but um, <laughs> I, mean, I mean the one thing i would say is you need to earn it in the sense that yeah. a fan base of any kind is very much a reflection on the band or the artist and you know they're, they're kind of like a you you attract like minds and whatever you put out in the world into the world you'll get get back in many ways you need to create like amazing art is like the minimum entry <laughs> yeah. requirement um, it has to be authentic, it has to be something that, you know, feels like people aren't stupid, even like on a very sort of intuitive level, people, people know if you're bullshitting them. They can like, almost where, smell e- even, even if it's, even if it's a song, like the lyrics and stuff, if you put something together, we've all, we all know, we've seen bands like it, right? That sort of <laughs> I could think of a few in my mind, but yeah. create, create music that just feels very hollow. It just feels like they're just ticking boxes and they're just trying to do what they think is like a commercially viable thing yeah. to do. And people, you know, it took me a long time to learn that, but people can smell that for a mile off. 
So the first thing you do is just, like, I saw this, I think it was a TikTok even yesterday that I saved. It was by, I don't know, oh, I've forgotten now. I'll get it. I'll get well, it you can watch bit, TikTok but, um, without melting your brain. You're a strong man. I can't go near it. Yeah, well, I, I have to ration it because if <sighs> not, you will sit on there for hours. Oh, yeah. But it was um, Rick Rubin, you know, the producer. Oh, I mean, that huge producer. Did you ever see him and Kendrick talking or him and Pharrell? That's, yeah. No, I haven't. But he came up in my timeline i mean what a champ like this guy I mean, just that's like, different just i i need i mean he's been he's been out there for 30 40 years with incredible yeah. beautiful advice took me ages to learn this create art for yourself not yeah. in a sort of selfish way but be your own sort of fan of your own no music. that's perfect that's because perfect. because if you do that and and you do stuff that you genuinely love people can tell and people who are like you that that it will resonate with people that are like you mm. so it's not a selfish thing to create for yourself because then you're you're creating stuff that's real and you're creating stuff that people will will actually resonate with people in a real way again and please skip so yeah, back that's people thing. skip back and listen to that again because when i work <laughs> with people whether they've started their journey or they're touring with their fifth record all over the planet when they send me a song and they say i wrote something honestly what do you think i go first of all that's a win that you wrote something you care about. There's never a bad song that's honest. You've just said it beautifully, so I won't try and add too much to it. But yeah, that, that's a hugely resonant point. And essentially, I make a living off making sure people understand that. And I remember seeing one last thing that got me going. So we talk about inflammatory media, and I'm aware we could talk for six hours, so we won't. <laughs> but I remember someone saying, songwriting is like therapy. And I'm not having a go at her. It's not her fault. That was printed. Songwriting is not like therapy, it is exactly therapy for people. It is, yeah. Being creative. So 100%. you cannot cheapen it like that. And I think you said it beautifully. If you want to be a professional or if you want to sing for your family, write something that means something to you. And one more thing, I remember, if, I can't remember her name because I met way too many people, but I remember everything about her. I could pick her out of a crowd. She literally came up to me out of the crowd and started like roaring at me. She had these beautiful tattoos and she was. She was nuts, like way out of her tree. She was one of your fans. And she, I think Amazing. she had fangs as well. And I was like, who the fuck are these people to be so incredibly kind? And like you said, in extremely intelligent. You know that from the outset, but she was literally roaring at me. She couldn't explain the feeling that she felt when she watched the show. And being around you guys, if I'm completely honest, you were very complimentary. And that night was too much for me. We clocked each other, but I've never put on war paint and a stab vest and done what I did that night but i felt so comfortable because your manager came in first and then lawrence in his infinite wisdom of madness came in and tried to give us fuck <laughs> fast and even though you were super busy you had time for everyone so you inspired that in me to go out and be like fuck it i'm gonna do my thing and that's what i'm gonna do from now on that's very kind of you mate but yeah i, I mean that that goes back to my point really that's exactly it in order to create something like that create a fan base or a following of any kind and this is this goes outside of music into business and everything else you have to be worthy of it you have to earn it you have to be a leader and you have to inspire that dedication in people and with and there's no shortcut you just you you've just got to love what you do create from a place of like love and then put the work in you know fvk for years we had like a thing called the obsidian bond which was like our um it was like pre-netflix it was almost like netflix for our fans but loads more it was like a, it was crazy. a fan club basically like they'd pay a small subscription each month and they'd get loads of extra stuff like it's like patreon right basically a similar thing i think this was just as really funny just before or just around the time patreon was coming out and we wanted to you know we were obsessed with making sure that they were looked after these people on the obsidian bond and but so we would do you know, loads of videos and stuff, obviously, all of the sort of deep cuts, like demos, anything that we produced would all go on there. And we'd do these meetups as well. So every on tour, either the day before, if we had a day off or the day of the show, we'd like put aside an, an extra hour to make sure that we were like hanging out with everyone, meeting everyone in person. And, you know, when you're on tour, as you'll know, that's tiring right? oh. you could probably do that probably do that extra hour but they bed. were queuing to see um, you mate and literally is this is a massive it's the dome so like you said if you talk about a thousand fans there were 500 in there that night they're nutters they came from all over europe but i was chatting to people i reckon i spoke to about 300 
But we didn't get to chat because I looked over across the merch desk and they were snaking around the whole fucking venue just to chat to you. And you had time for everyone and you were seeing everyone for those valuable seconds and minutes, you know. So you you practice what you yeah. preach from what I've seen. It's because I, I feel thankful, you know, like people have, it's, it's no small ask for people to get out from their sofa, go to a place and like what pay money and watch a what show, hotels, especially nowadays. plane tickets, during hotels, COVID, all this crazy. stuff. I was thankful and I just wanted to show my appreciation. And I think if you are like that and you generally look after people, they'll look after you. It's that simple. But you like, again, it can't come from, again, I, I always say, but I'm, I hate sort of serial entrepreneurs in in the sense that like it's fine to do lots of different businesses and stuff like that but people who do do things just for the sake of their own personal gain and do things just to try and make money purely because they see an opportunity and they go right I'm doing that not because they love it but because they see a market moving one way and they go yeah that's what I want to do like there's nothing wrong with making money and stuff but when it comes you're never going to create anything of worth that way in like at least as far as i'm concerned or no i'd agree with you mate you can speak freely on it you know i'm sure there's someone that's bucked that trend but well they don't if you do it for profit and not purpose then i don't mind that but i've got a very kind of like i said i'm very arrogant i'm very stubborn i think i'm brilliant so i don't listen to many people welcome to the show i definitely listen to you (laughs) (laughs) i think if you do it for profit not purpose that's fine but then are you going to put that profit into purpose if you're not i'm not interested Whereas I've seen that from you, mate, for 10 years. Making money is fine. And being motivated by money is also fine to a degree, like, because money sometimes reflects how many people are connecting with my thing. It, it also fuels what I'm doing, gives me the ability to reach more people. So money's fine. Like, chasing profit is fine. Like, this is the real world. 100%. You have to make money. I have to, I have a mortgage you know, we have to make money. Well done. As a creative, having to talk a about that's a win. That's cool. Thanks, man. We, we got, well, no, I said we didn't get lucky. We worked hard. You worked, we there we go. Mortgage. Thank you. Take that credit. <laughs> but, so I, I appreciate it. But there's nothing wrong with talking about money, chase, like, like even pursuing it for the right reasons. But I, I always think when it comes to money, it sounds stupid, but it's very easy to get and it's very easy to lose. Now, mm. hear me out because that could sound extremely arrogant to say that money is very easy to get. Money is very easy to get if, and there's a caveat, if you don't have, you'll do anything to get it. Don't any morals. So, right, I could go walk out the house now and go and rob co-op down the road. I'll probably get a few grand. (laughs) That's it, yeah, I've I've had my eye on that place for ages. (laughs) Bastards. I I could go and do that and I'd get a few grand. And that'd be probably the easiest few grand I'd ever made. But I also would probably go to jail and lose a few years of my life. And that's not worth it. Especially if you confessed it on a podcast. Yeah, that's it, right? This is evidence now. (laughs) I won't ever be able to be released because I'll get caught by the police. But so in a very, like, that's a very extreme example, but you can do anything, right? I could, I could, you know, a very much less extreme example is I could easily get a job working for someone else and earn as much as I am now and have more stability, but I would lose my freedom. So there's always this balancing act. And so money is easy to attain and easy to lose as well. I mean, what is it like 70% of lottery winners go completely broke or something? Yeah. Like there's some crazy statistic. I mean, even people that retire early, they tend to do six weeks of watching TV and having a great life and then go back out and do something because what got them there is that wonderful energy. And in terms of freedom, my, my, one of my mentors, Hugo, who I was extremely lucky to meet, I had no idea. All I had to pay for some of the best advice in France, you can get in English when I didn't speak French, was two Cronenbergs and maybe a lunch, which he actually paid for in the end. And he talked to me about, what is your goal, Jamie? And he realized how much I'd done in a month and how much of a psychopath I was. So he thought he'd try and help me. He said, <laughs> what's your goal? I said, freedom. He goes, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that one before. And I said, how much, I told him how much money I had saved. He goes, okay, we need a bit more freedom, don't you? But it's the best advice I've ever had. And he told me things that I had no idea what they meant. And then I hit up against him and I went, fuck me. He's a guy who turned down two of the biggest jobs in France because he didn't care about the money. 
he said you don't have a baby to make the marriage work if it's not working already you know in terms of taking shares from companies yeah which most people don't follow that that advice (laughs) (laughs) we're not going into that because that's the deep dark conversation (laughs) but i think (laughs) everyone ever oh god me and my girlfriend aren't talking let's have a baby (laughs) yeah that's no that's the best way by the way (laughs) but you're here and I, i only use it because it's an extremely funny somewhat inflammatory which is a word you used recently in one of our calls and i love it you're drinking whiskey in the afternoon and you're happy and you're calm and you're looked after your family are looked after you've got time to do this show and support what i'm trying to do and put into the world if that isn't winning i I don't know what it is yeah i mean it's i mean as we've talked before people like us are rarely happy but (laughs) they're not really happy rarely satisfied i can be happy uh, on occasion <laughs> you really convinced uh, me there mate yeah <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> i'm happy now um but it, it is good it's good and, and uh, look i'm very i just want to say again i'm very aware that we're two white blokes sitting here going oh you know i'm, I'm, like, I'm oh, sort God, of white. money I'm kidding it's money, hard to see with money the light, so, but i know what you mean oh have you got have you uh, have you got a look? i mean i've got i'm actually very irish which is still white yeah i, I wasn't sure if you were french or irish i was when i was bubbling at you i said yeah where's that from uh what my name did you say i'm just imitating my oh right okay so <laughs> lack of control no actually this rust watch on my wrist was it was given to me by my granddad who came from jamaica and i've got no love for jamaica to be completely honest i've got love for my granddad mm. what he had to do in his life was impressive i actually talked about it let's talk about that quickly first time i ever talked about what i call mixed racism first time i ever talked my thoughts on what i suffered when i was at school and i talked about my granddad because my brother came into the show He's six foot eight and a doctor. So he literally came in with his backpack and his classic doctor's shirt. But I remember looking out at your crowd and like you said, they're, they're all white. And I remember you, you, someone had put across gender neutral toilets. Someone had done that at your show over the, over the venue. I was like, this is fucking awesome. I look out into the crowd and you see every type of beautiful human. And I saw one woman that looked just like my mum. And I remember all the conversations that I had with fans were amazing because your fans are just queuing up to say nice things and you, you poke them and you joke and they appreciate it. And you see everyone. There's this one girl I could see. I just had to speak to her. And within about two or three minutes, we were both crying. People talking about coming up to her. She, she's mixed race, looks like my mum. And people come up to her and touch her hair like she's a monkey. She works in retail still God. to this day. But what was beautiful, right? Because we were having this conversation. I remember another fan who was white, she just stood there and was kind of just beautifully held that she felt welcome to be in this conversation. Like, who the fuck are these fans that not only they feel comfortable to come up and and abuse you in a really nice way. And like, they were grabbing me on the train and I went home to Watford with face paint on the train and some guy 16 in Watford, he looked like he just robbed a corner shop, went, love your face paint, mate. What have you done tonight? And I went, you know, like you said, if you put out, even this podcast that we're talking to, you on essentially me and Callum went, we're super nerds that love songwriting and we're really depressed and lost in life let's start a show and I get to meet you you know it's a really good excuse to talk to you so doing what you think is needed in the world a niche or being honest is you're living proof of that yeah that wasn't a question by the way it was a tangent no it's fine (laughs) (laughs) I'm all all good with tangents (laughs) it's good yeah I, I, I was just saying I think it's easy for me sorry I didn't actually know that you had must be the light you know I'm, <laughs> but that's tanned. great because i think uh you had mixed race heritage but either way uh, you know we've I, I was just checking my privilege i think that's what i'm doing you know no, but we I'm do that sure that i know even ed and i at rainbowwood so i work with their graves at rainbowwood it's a beautiful studio it's like bruce man wayne manor and we realized that at six four mixed race boys he's armenian and i'm a little bit african so it's hard to see but mm. we have to work so hard to come to terms with what we've been allowed to have essentially. Mm. And I think we have to check our privileges, but Ed is, I don't know anyone that works harder to help people. You know, he's, he's a brute. He's, he's bad cop when it comes to, to business and making choices, but I'm learning (laughs) from that, but he's, he's so giving with what he has and um, yeah, just incredible human beings. But thank you for saying that because it's, it's really nice because then we can just broach that and people can feel comfortable. And you said absolutely nothing wrong. Because that was the point at school is that I'd be like, they come and poke my moles and throw the word nigger in my direct direction to see what I do with it. And I was like, Jesus. I'm not worried about that. But my mum would be upset or my granddad has been through that his whole life. And all he ever mm. did was smile. 
But then I go, if I say anything, they go, but you're not black. And I go, so what, you know, it's that kind of, that thing, but it's cool because like you said, if you feel welcome, people at your shows are changing gender, right? That's, that's fucking, that's crazy. That's, you're born in a body. Yeah. Uh, my skin has never changed color. I've never felt like I was born in the yeah. wrong skin. It's, it, you, you've done something far more significant, I think, in terms of making people feel welcome. What does it feel like to, to be born in, you know, your, your physical body is not the same as the expression of how you feel. And I, you and I talk about being fireworks. And if I don't get an idea out, I feel like I'm going to blow up and I have to go and play football in the rain. But I've never had to question, was I born in a different body? That's a very nice way of saying it. And, and I think <laughs> I would not be doing service to what you've done, which is very significant in terms of like putting your brand and your name next to what I'm doing, what Callum and I and Tiki are doing and Emily and, and all the people that are involved in this show without allowing you just to talk a bit about how you stumbled across your company. Oh, what? Condomaniac. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one. So <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> how, yeah, that one. How I stumbled across it. So it was by accident as a lot of brilliant things in life are, which is being why, open to those yeah, accidents. Why, yeah, why I was saying earlier that it's um, people should feel empowered to take chances and risks and things like that because mm. that's where the magic really is in life. That's what makes getting up worth it in my mind. So as most of the best things started, I had had a few drinks at a barbecue <laughs> in uh, in my flat in London, and um, we we talk turned to my obsession again, another obsession with sauces and condiments, which is you know, a bit of a nerdy thing, but it is what it is. I have always loved condiments. Uh, in the band, when we were all living together, they'd all take the piss out of me because I'd have, you know, some pizza, but I'd have three or four different sauces to like dip it in because that was the You got bullied for that me. as well? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I would, I, I like, you know, it was it was all in good good natured, but they'd just be like, oh, you know, what the fuck? Why is it? Do you want some pizza with your sauce? All this stuff. So like <laughs> for me, banter. that was always the... <laughs> exciting part of a meal was the the condiments and the flavors that you're adding to it as well and I was always obsessed with that idea so we were talking about that and I think someone was taking the the piss at this barbecue because I had the fridge my fridge is always always has been still is it's sort of three quarters sort of <laughs> pickles chutneys sauces hot sauce mayonnaise other stuff like that and then yes. there's like one shelf for like food um <laughs> And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start reviewing these things. I'm going to start, like, I'm going to put it online. Because my other half, Jen, at the time, had been, like, doing these, like, pretty pictures of, like, the food she was giving our dog. And, uh, <laughs> and it was really, and it, and it was kind of, it just showed me how pretty you could make things, like, inanimate objects look. Cool. And I, I was quite struck by it. So I was like, I'm going to do that, but with sauce. So I got the sauces and I, I, I arrayed them on boards and I uh, added all these little decorations and took really nice pictures and wrote really in-depth, unnecessarily <laughs> Super in nerdy reviews. <laughs> nerdy reviews of these sauces. Good. And again, in a very small way, it didn't explode into something that was an international pheno phenomenon, but in a small way, it attracted like minds on Instagram, this was, and it grew and then I was like, oh, I think there's something here. And naturally I started experimenting with some of my own stuff. I, I got the hot sauce bug quite early on. Hot sauce, what much age, like craft beer. Well, the thing was, I didn't eat loads of hot sauce until I started this process. I, I ate a little bit um, and I, you know, I'd, I'd always liked a little bit, but I'd never been a massive spicy food fan. It was kind of weird. And then I found hot sauce because people started sending it to me to review. I say found it. I, I really got into it. And... And yeah, I just discovered this incredible community within hot sauce. Like much like craft beer, hot sauce is a very similar world. Yes. It's like lots of artisan producers that do amazing stuff and how there's all this amazing artwork and it's really, um, it's really creative. So we started doing a lot of hot sauce and I got hooked because I was just like, this is amazing. There's so many different types. It's so fresh. There's like fermented, which is really like kind of good for you as well if you do it that way. And yeah, I got into it and then we we tried making our own. And that was Smoky Dragon, which was our first yes. hot sauce, which this year, was it this year or last year, won its two stars at the Great Taste Awards. I, mate, because I was just thinking, I shared that with my family the other day when I was home in England. 
dad is having a go on the hot sauce just mum being west indian she can't handle it it's hilarious but dad was he used to order boxes of chilies and i walked past him in the kitchen at 9 p.m and he'd be sweating with a jar of milk just eating chilies but we were we, we were having a go on smoky dragon and it's really cool and then i looked and there was a taste award on it i was like you're kidding like how long have you guys been a yeah. company for every every one of ours have every hot sauce has a great taste that's award nuts now everyone yeah which is pretty cool and so and we didn't even really know what we were doing to begin with but we were just foodies and people that really you know again i was obsessed so i read up did lots of stuff poured my heart and soul into it and poured sorry <laughs> yeah, yeah pun intended <laughs> and then yeah we ended up we were like you know we could give this a go ourselves it was all you know bootstrapped did our own artwork to begin with and um sold some online sold a few and then Things kind of grew from there. And my other half, Jen, who's my business partner, came on really early. Um, cool. It was just help, helping me with stuff and was just as into it. She got caught up and she got the bug. And then, yeah, so we, we when we incorporated the company, we incorporated it together, even though it was my stupid idea. And now she's the one that does most of the hard work. That's crazy. Because <laughs> I have to say as well, like I think, because you guys, uh, if you follow the show, you'll be seeing more and more stuff that we've got planned for the sources. And apart from just enjoying them, in terms of like even unboxing them, but I went on your website and I am blowing smoke up your ass and it does make sense and have a vested interest to do so. So it's fine. But I was going through <laughs> your website and it, there's a real kind of theme. I think it's beautiful photos, graphics, website design. Cause I've seen a lot of websites. I have a very average website myself, but I go and look at yours and I'm like, fuck. And you've got beautiful pins and you have a very kind of, there's a through line in terms of merch as well, but you can customize and create your own source, which of course yeah. I fucking did where did you get that idea just to have that ability i i was on i was on the beach actually in uh in in the on the isle of sheppy oh christ it's like really, the caribbean the no. no no nothing that glamorous um my, my mate ruth lives on the isle of sheppy and she'll be laughing if she listens to this but um <laughs> Hello, she, yeah yeah the isle of sheppy i was there because I, I sometimes like if i get the chance i'll i really like water so i'll drive to the beach. It was one of those afternoons where I drove to the beach to have a think. It was in the summer. And uh, I was just trying to think about, you know, what I like as a consumer when I'm really like nerdy about something. Uh, you know, I was thinking about what other people do in other industries and things. And then I just had the idea of like, yeah, when I really like something, I like to put my own stamp on it. I like to be able to experiment. And like, like I, I, you know, I was thinking, what is it that I love so much about Condomaniac and the, like owning this company and it was the development of the the recipes and things like yeah. that, and creating so i was like why not give that ability to our customers so we did and yeah we, we, we i was blown away customer hot sauce because thing. because I, i've tried smoky dragon i've got seance as well at home i've got this big pack ready for dave and i to cook so that'd be really cool there'd be loads of stuff in there but when i saw that i was like wow because I, I was always the one I have to finish everything on my plate in a certain order and I have to have the sources in a certain way. And when you gave me the <laughs> opportunity to slap like my, the, the show's brand on there and I called it Bat Panther because Batman and Black Panther are my favorite superheroes. And I had to choose my own base. I could choose my own dishes, the chilies, my own, to my own taste. And you get it wrapped and sent and you just go, what the fuck is this? Like what company does that? And you haven't gone stratospheric yet took Ugg boots 20 years so it's okay but yeah i just i had to talk about that because i was genuinely impressed you know i was doing diligence as you do is when you're going to work with someone i was like well i should know the site and the products but that was that was pretty exceptional for me so i'd recommend people yeah. just go and have a look go and have a look yeah i'm glad you glad you like that but um yeah again it's just everything i do and you know hopefully everything i will do f beyond this point it stems from that obsession it stems from just my own love for the thing and yeah i'm just a firm believer that if you stick to that and stay true to your own obsession in a healthy way then you can't go wrong really so yeah hopefully other that. people will will feel the same but that's a beautiful way i think to end today's segment and i don't often get to say it but i'm very much looking forward to having these regularly and what was funny is you were talking about your source company you could have easily been talking about a career in creativity doing something yeah. you're honestly interested in so is there anything else you'd like to close with because you will be back so it's okay but is there anything else you'd like to say before we cut off this very first spicy segment sponsored by condomaniac uh, yeah i'd just say thanks for listening 
like, nice to meet you. Sorry to invade your space. Hopefully I can add something. <laughs> and uh, I really enjoy what you're doing. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't. So Thank you. keep at it. Anyone else out there? Hopefully you can find a kindred spirit in me and Jamie. Let's sign off with that. Thank you guys so much for <laughs> taking the time to listen. And does not ship to the US yet. We've got US listeners, yeah. but we'll send you videos and photos. And hey, hit me up on Instagram. I'm sure we can find something that we can do. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Bye.